Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, another day, another liberal campaign gaffe, exclusion from debate, and a maverick candidate who fell in love with Alberta after visiting the Calgary Stampede. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Thursday, August 26, 2021. I've lost count of what day we're at in the campaign, but we do still have a couple of weeks left. And I'm not sure the Liberals have had a single good day in the entirety of the campaign. They've had days where they've been trying, you know, by trying to make it seem like Aaron O'Toole is uh, going to force everyone to pay for health care or trying to pretend that Aaron O'Toole, who keeps saying he's pro-choice, is actually a secret closet pro-lifer. And one of the greatest levelers of that accusation was liberal candidate and liberal minister for women and gender equality, Mariam Monsef. Now, Mariam Monsef, you know where I'm going with this if you've been paying attention to the news in the last 24 hours. Mariam Monsef has not exactly endeared herself to people who, you know what, oppose the terrorist group, the Taliban. Here's what she said as a minister, not even as a liberal candidate, as a minister at a government briefing yesterday. I want to take this opportunity to speak to our brothers, the Taliban. We call on you to ensure the safe and secure passage of any individual in Afghanistan out of the country. We call on you to immediately stop the violence, the genocide, the femicide, the destruction of infrastructure, including heritage buildings. We call on you to return immediately to the peacekeeping table, to the peace deal, that was negotiated and to ensure women and minorities voices are part of that discussion in a meaningful way. Oh, brother, our brothers, the Taliban, our brothers. I mean, I, I don't even need to editorialize on that one. This is a woman who calls the Taliban our brothers before going on to talk about all the terrible things they do and all the terrible things that they really want to do and will continue to do from femicide to a lack of rights and all of that. And she calls them her brothers. Now, this was seized rather quickly by people, I would say left and right, who were just absolutely baffled. Like, my first reaction when I saw this was, oh, is this one of those deep fake videos where someone is made to look like they did something or said something when they actually didn't? If so, you know, AI's getting pretty rough. No, I think there's actually more intelligence in AI than there was in, in that clip of Mariam Monsef. But the reality is, this is what she actually said. That was actually a clip from her. Now, thankfully, an astute reporter soon after pointed it out to her and had her respond. And this is what she said in response to that. I have a follow-up. This is for Minister Monsef. Um, in your statement, you referred to the Taliban as our brothers. Can you clarify your remarks? Is this an indication of the government position positioning softening on the Taliban? Hardly. The Taliban are a terrorist group, and yet they claim to be Muslims. We're calling on them to immediately allow for the safe passage of any individual who is in Afghanistan out of the country. We are calling on them 
to immediately seize the violence, the femicide, the genocide, the rapes, the lootings, and to return immediately to the peace negotiation table in an inclusive and meaningful way. If they will ever be recognized as a legitimate party, this is the starting point. The reference to brothers is a cultural reference, of course, but let me be very clear. We do not support the Taliban. We are horrified that the hard-won gains of the past 20 years are at stake like this and being eroded like this. We are horrified that our women and men in uniform had to move forward with a difficult operation that was only made more difficult by their actions and deeply disappointed that their threats of ongoing violence have led to the international community, particularly the Americans, saying we're going to leave on the 31st due to these threats of violence. So she says, oh, no, they're of course, they're a terrorist group. And yeah, they're doing terrible things and we don't like them. And it's just cultural. That's how she defended it. It's just cultural. Well, one reporter, Tom Korski of Blacklock's Reporter, they do some fantastic work uh, during Parliament sessions and also during the election campaign. Tom Korski actually gave her an out. He jumped in and, as you'll hear, says, listen, I I'm just, I'm prepared to let you just take this back right now. Do you want a mulligan on this answer? She didn't take it. Thank you. And, and Minister Monsef, I'd like to follow up on this brother business. Uh, frankly, if there's some cultural nuance here, I'm not getting it. I've never heard you refer to a Muslim Canadian member of the Conservative Party as your brother. Everyone is aware of the Taliban's human rights atrocities. It's just a really jarring phrase. Do, do you just want to walk that back now? Could you just take that back? Or do you really think the Taliban are our brothers? I think this whole situation is jarring, sir that there are terrorists taking over my beloved ancestral land. In terms of the terminology, if you go to masjids across the country, Muslims refer to one another as brothers and sisters. So, you know, rest assured, I continue to believe deeply that the Taliban are a terrorist organization. Our government believes so. We'll continue to protect women, Hazaras, Shias, Hindus, Sikhs, We'll continue to do everything we can to get as many people out of their grasp in Afghanistan. And we'll continue to do everything we can with our global partners to make sure that the hard-won gains of the past two decades are not lost to these individuals who whose mandate is not to govern. Their mandate is to oppress and to kill, and we condemn that entirely. Now, here's the thing. She is a refugee from Afghanistan. I know she wasn't born there. She was born in Iran, as a lot of you are familiar with. But she is a refugee from Afghanistan. Her family fled Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. She knows full well what they're capable of. I do not believe for a second, lest there be any doubt, that she is pro-Taliban. I don't believe that she is actually uh, one of these people that thinks they are her brothers. I don't buy that for a second. I think that this is showing her naivete and her attempts at making it look like something is happening that isn't actually happening. And I want to explain that. She is not speaking to the Taliban. She's not speaking in Pashto. She's not speaking on a Taliban network. She's not covering her head, which is the only way most of these thugs will actually listen to a woman if they do it all. She's speaking to a Canadian audience. And in doing so, pretending 
to speak to the Taliban, pretending like she's making this dramatic appeal on behalf of Afghans and Canadians to the Taliban to get them to be nice to Canada. That She's pretending to Canadians like she's actually doing something. Now, my view is if you're going to play the theatrical game, if you're going to engage in theatrics, at least get the theatrics right. Don't do the my brothers, our brothers, the Taliban shtick when you're not even speaking to them. And this idea that, oh yeah, well, you know, brothers and sisters, this is just how we talk to each other. This is how Muslims talk to each other if you go to masjids across the country. Well, there's a difference between, I'd say, Muslims talking to each other at a masjid and addressing a terrorist organization, a group, the government of Canada and Maryam Monsef view as a terrorist organization and for good reason. So the thing about this that I would argue people need to pay closer attention to is just the utter naivete of her not realizing how calling a terrorist group your brothers is anything but benign. And incidentally, Fatima Syed, who is a, a left-wing journalist and a, a Muslim woman herself, took aim at this. She tweeted out, and I thought this was very valuable. She said, there aren't a lot of Muslim political journalists in Canada, so I have to regrettably say something about Maryam Monsef. She doesn't want to be mean to Maryam Monsef. She says, fact, brothers, is a term of respect. False Muslims call the Taliban brothers. Opinion, this was dumb. Solution, move on. Now, I actually think moving on is a little bit too abrupt a conclusion to take there, but I, I do take Fatima Syed's words here that, no, this is a term of respect. It's not just what you call a Muslim because you happen to be a Muslim. Here's the thing. I don't remember anyone saying, oh, you know, my brother bin Laden or our brothers in ISIS or my brother in Al-Qaeda. This was just not what people said, because generally speaking, I would say all of us can agree. And if not, we should agree. Those who are terrorists do not deserve any respect, cursory or otherwise. As a Christian, I know the term my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. I would not use that to someone who was distorting and twisting my faith to pretend that it justified whatever a violent crusade they were on. So this idea that, you know, we call them our brothers is just not even valid within the Muslim community from all of the commenting that I'm seeing here. But it's all the white liberals that are saying, oh, oh, you know, we have to be culturally sensitive and understand the cultural nuance. And I was glad that Tom Gorski in his question took aim at that. He said, you know, maybe there's a cultural nuance I'm missing here. And she said, that that's just what we say. Well, even your own brothers in Islam and your sisters in Islam are pointing out, Minister Monsef, that that is not, in fact, the case. And the idea that she is speaking to the Taliban, the idea that her words carry any weight there, is absolutely out to lunch. I want to play this clip I came across. It's not Canadian, and it's actually a couple of months old. It's not something that's come about in the U.S. withdrawal period of the last few weeks in particular. But a female journalist who was forced to cover her hair for this interview was speaking with a couple of Taliban commanders who had said that, yes, of course, there are women's rights and we're going to have democracy and all of that. Clearly, they don't buy it. But she asks them, if someone using their democratic right could vote a female into a position of leadership, they had to end the interview because they were laughing so hard. Taliban president. Oh, alhamdulillah. Would that still include women's rights and a democracy? 
So would you believe in the democratic vote, though? So would people be allowed to vote in women politicians? <laughs> It made me laugh. He couldn't even entertain the idea of a woman in a position of leadership. Had to cut it, had to cut the filming, cut rolling, cut tape, whatever you want to call it, because that was just so absurd. So the idea that Maryam Monsef is accomplishing anything right now in her feigned appeal to the Taliban is just not accurate. Not even close to being accurate, not even close to being within the realm of possibility. So no, I don't believe that she is a Taliban apologist. But I believe that she's so hellbent on projecting this image of being the mediator, the peacemaker, that she is essentially deceiving Canadians by making it seem like she's accomplishing something here and in doing so is so completely and utterly out of touch with how her words come across. We've got to take a quick break when we come back. More of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to the Andrew Lawton Show. I want to talk about debates for a couple of moments here because we know that debates are, in a lot of cases, very key in accessing undecided voters. I do think it's possible that people overstate the influence of debates, certainly at the local level. I know a few years ago when I ran as a candidate in Ontario's provincial election, a vast majority of the people who tuned into debates had already made up their minds, certainly the ones that were held by community groups that had in-person attendance. It was just about who could bring out the biggest cheering squad. I do think at the national level, debates have a significant influencing effect, or can, at the very least, if you are on the stage, you are in the wheel house, as we say. Here's the problem. In 2019, Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, was invited onto the debate stage. Fast forward two years, the PBC has been excluded from the official government-run leaders' debates hosted by the Leaders' Debates Commission. Now, the commission had three criteria if you wanted to be invited, and they lay it out clearly on their website here. You have to have either elected someone under that party's banner in the last federal election, received at least 4% of the vote nationally in the last election, or are polling at 4% or above based on a bunch of polls that they decide to curate in the current cycle. And the reason they do that is so that a new party could conceivably, if they capture a lot of support, find its leader in the debate. Now, here's the thing. The PPC support has been getting stronger and stronger in the last week or so. There was one poll done by iPolitics with Main Street that found the PPC at 7% support. Now, that's massive, especially considering the party had, what was it, 1.6% of the vote last time nationally. Now, this is obviously Obviously an outlier because polls, generally speaking, you can't trust the ones that are really high or really low, but it would have brought the average up significantly. And if you look, the Leaders Debates Commission said the PPC was only a fraction of a percent behind reaching that 4% threshold. If they had done their assessment a few days later, it's very likely the PPC would have made it in. Now, Maxime Bernier responded, and he didn't actually blame the commission. He said the commission laid out clear criteria. He blamed the media. He blamed the political establishment cartel that have been hell-bent on saying the PBC do not have a place in the discussion, do not have a place in politics. 
But I wanted to actually shine a light here on Jagmeet Singh's response. Now, he was asked what he thought of Maxime Bernier not being invited. And this is what he said. Mr. Singh, I'm wondering, should Maxime Bernier be able to participate in the national leaders debate? And do you think the criteria for this debate should be changed at all? No, and I've written a letter explaining how I do not believe he should be allowed. Uh, he's someone that is that is opposed science, that puts out very dangerous and divisive rhetoric, and is someone that is putting out messages that are discouraging the public health response to this pandemic. I think it would be the wrong thing to do, very much the wrong thing to do, to give him a platform to promote very divisive and hurtful, frankly, uh, messaging that is uh, counter to science, counter to people's health. What a classless response. I mean, it's also politically wrong, but actually classless. If I were Jagmeet Singh, this is what I would say. Listen, I think the rules are what they are. I am not afraid of debating Maxime Bernier. I don't think Canadians want what he's selling. I'm going to sell Canadians what we're selling, and I think they're all going to buy it more than they'll buy whatever he is. Now, I mean, you can word it more eloquently, but basically what Jagmeet Singh should have said is, screw it, I'm not, I'm not afraid of Maxime Bernier. Instead, he goes down the censorship road of saying, oh, well, that's divisive and hateful and we can't give that a platform and I don't want Canadians to be exposed to it. Can you imagine in what world Politicians should be able to say, I don't want Canadians exposed to what my opponent is saying. Well, sure, every politician would say that because if they're not exposed to the opposition, to the opposing candidates, the alternatives, then they're going to have to vote for you because you're the only shot. But it's terrifying that that's the default NDP position, censoring the opposition. Now, I have no doubt that the Liberals would be in the same boat. I didn't happen to hear Justin Trudeau ask this question. But the answer to that should have been, I'm not afraid of a little competition who is. Now, people can debate whether the rules are right or wrong. I'm inclined to believe if you look at the numbers that they set, those 4% thresholds, they were trying to include the Greens and exclude the PPC. That's the reality. They've got to put that number low enough that the Green Party can clear it, but high enough that all those pesky right-of-center parties don't make it in. Like the Mavericks weren't even close because they're only running candidates in one province. So the idea of having 4% nationally would need a huge amount of support in, in just Alberta alone. So that clearly wasn't going to happen this time around. And, and look, I know that our audience is very split. We've got people that love Maxine Bernier, people that love Aaron O'Toole, people that maybe don't love the Conservative Party of Canada, but trust it to achieve the goal of ousting Trudeau more than they trust voting for another party. So you get the, the Grin and Barrett types. I don't have a team. I, I get asked all the time, well, why aren't you doing enough to support X or support Y? I'm about the issues. I'm about the issues that I care about being advanced. And I like when people of any party or no party at all decide they're going to advance these things. I'm all about more freedom. More freedom is better. When you have this Leaders Debates Commission, which effectively nationalizes the privilege of debating, it becomes the government's role to answer for it. If an individual media company said, ah, you know what, we don't, we, we want to draw a line here and these candidates are in and these candidates are out, it's a lot harder to object to it than when it's a government doing it. 
But here's the thing. I do want to talk about the exception to that because at a local level in my city, there are some debate shenanigans going on. Rogers Television has, like in many communities across Canada, a local station in London, Ontario, which has always broadcasted debates for the candidates in the four London ridings. London West, London Fanshawe, London North Centre, and Elgin Middlesex London. I don't share that with you because it matters to you, just to show off that I know them. <laughs> but anyway, Rogers always broadcast these, and the rule is they invite every candidate. If you're the communist, the PPC, the libertarian, the conservative, the liberal, they invite all of the registered candidates in a particular riding. Now, I broke a story yesterday, which I learned about from Mark Emery, who is the People's Party candidate in London North Centre. And what's interesting here is that Mark Emery tweeted out an invitation that he received to the debate. And in the invitation, you can see it in his tweet there, they say that the venue at which they're holding these debates requires anyone attending, anyone going in person, to be double vaccinated against COVID. Mark Emery says he's not vaccinated, he will not get vaccinated, and he's objecting to this idea that only fully vaccinated people can participate in Canadian democracy. And I spoke to uh, another candidate who reached out actually after I, I was tweeting about the Mark Emery stuff. He's the London Fanshawe PPC candidate. And he told me that, you know what, they, they, he has an exemption, so he's going to go and, and he thinks that they're, they're going to have to honor that exemption. Now, what's going to happen? They're filming these things next week. I don't know. And uh, perhaps they could backtrack on this altogether by moving the venue or, or doing it in some other way. But it is interesting. Ontario does not have a vaccine passport. Ontario does not have a vaccine mandate for the general population. But now, if you want to be invited to the debate where you as a candidate would get to show off your message to voters, you have to be vaccinated if you want to be in the building. It's not clear if they're going to allow you to zoom in or, or participate remotely. And I, I reached out to Rogers, the broadcaster, and they have, as of yet, not responded to me at all. And, and to be honest, at this point, I'm probably not holding out hope that they will. And, and you know where I stand on this. I, I've said I don't think it's right to stratify society. It's certainly not right to make it a requirement to be a candidate, which is effectively what they're saying. I mean, no, he can be a candidate and he can go and knock on doors and be on the ballot. But they're saying that we're inviting every candidate, but if you're not vaccinated, you can't come into the building. Private business, private broadcaster, they can do what they want, sure. That doesn't mean they should. And interestingly enough, the broadcast regulations require broadcasters to give equitable coverage to all parties. Now, this does not mean equal coverage. And I remember when I did a, a daily radio show that you'd every now and then get someone from some no-name party that says, you have to give me, you know, minute for minute equal coverage. No, it's not it. It has to be equitable. It has to be basically fair. I'm not sure if you could make a case that this is fair when you're excluding someone based on something like this. I, I don't know. I'm not approaching this from a legal perspective, but I'm saying that there could be a complaint one could make there about this. But the reality is that the vaccine passport discussion in Canada and in Ontario specifically is one that eventually leaves situations like this, where, sure, you are allowed to do something, but all of these barriers and roadblocks and restrictions make it impractical for you to do it. In this case, running for office. Yeah, you can knock on doors. You could stand as a candidate. You could get votes. You could even win. You could even win and, and serve in parliament if you wanted. 
But if all of a sudden groups are saying, oh, you have to be vaccinated to be in this debate. You have to be vaccinated to be able to communicate your message to voters. You are creating this segregated society where this choice that people are supposedly having about vaccination isn't really all that much of a choice at all. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. I don't know if I've mentioned this in the past. Obviously, with 338 ridings in Canada and more parties than I can count, we can't interview every candidate in every riding. But I also, at the same time, know that sometimes local candidates are a tremendous part of the story of Canadian politics. Indeed, Canadians elect candidates. They don't elect prime ministers. They don't elect parties, per se. They elect individual members of parliament at the local level. So what I've decided to do on this show and the next few weeks of the campaign is find the writings where something interesting is happening, individual candidates who have a great story to tell or who I think are are personally interesting or compelling, and also just people that may come across our radar for whatever reason in the campaign. I don't want to box ourselves in here, but I will say one of the interesting stories that I've come across has been that of Tarek El Naga, who's running for the Maverick Party in Banff Airdrie. Now, as we'll talk about in a moment, Banff Airdrie is shaking up to be a pretty crowded field with a lot of candidates who you'd think would be going after the same voters. But only one of them has moved to Alberta because they fell in love with the Calgary Stampede. And that's Tarek Elnega, who joins me on the line now. Tarek, thanks for coming on. It's great to talk to you. Andrew, likewise, thank you for having me. Now, as I mentioned uh, just in the introduction to this segment, I'm trying to find candidates across the country who have unique stories, unique perspectives on things. And when I learned about what brought you to where you are today, uh, living in Alberta and also running as a Maverick Party candidate, I I said, okay, I have to talk to him. I have to get him on the show. You actually are a relatively new Canadian. I know you became a a citizen about five years ago. But tell me what happened when you visited Alberta in 2010. So yeah, I, I was here on vacation, and I usually travel on vacation to go to a certain event, a sporting spectacle, a festival, a concert, etc. And I'd never been to a rodeo uh, in my life and uh, have zero animal experience. And uh, I, I'd come to the Calgary Stampede in 2010, and I sat in the stands, and I watched the rodeo, and I thought, man, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to be on the other side of that fence. And uh, that something happened, and I decided this was going to be it. I went home, I uh, quit my job, sold the house, sold the car, and made plans to move to Alberta to start to get into rodeo. Now, home at the time was the uh, the United Arab Emirates, which I'm guessing Correct. is not a big rodeo spot. It is not, no, uh, no. So born and raised in Dubai, pretty much a city kid. Um, what it is where the similarities are is actually it's a, a big oil and gas economy too. Um, and we could chat about that in a little while. But, you know, my corporate career as an engineer um, was relatively easy to transfer in the sense of I grew up in an oil and gas world, but my uh, recreational, personal, and now um, athletic life is, is completely different. I know Dubai is a, a city that has lots going on, very, uh, very worldly. You obviously right. had traveled the world. What was it about the Alberta rodeo experience that grabbed you and, and made you say, I want to move there in a way that other places you had visited hadn't right. up until that point? I think it was how 
unclinical it was. So the thing is, you know, Dubai is a pretty pristine city growing up. Mm -hmm. It's very, very pristine, very modern, very new and very Western too. In the sense of like, just, just modern. But there was something about the dirt, like something about the grit and the perseverance uh, of cowboy culture. Um, and that, that grit that you, you see very rarely anywhere else. And I was like, man, there's something about that. There's something about that value of like, you see people getting bucked off pretty hard at a rodeo and they're like, you know what, we're getting right back on, you know? So, um, and it, there was a level of authenticity and the mystique of, of the Western culture, but also the values that it represents that were really attractive. And, and you know, we talked about grit, but perseverance is another one. Risk taking is another. Hard work is was one. And it's also a, a culture that's built around community and respect. And those are all values that I'm like, this speaks to me. Right. And it's very different than everything I've used to. And, and if there's one way to do it, then you know, put myself entirely out of my comfort zone. Um, Alberta was going to be it. I know even though I agree with most Albertans on most things politically, I still get it when I'm there being from Ontario, right. being viewed just as an Easterner. And I'm, I'm curious how you felt in adjusting to being a Westerner, if you felt immediately accepted or even to this day accepted as a Westerner in a group of right. people that are very leery of even people that come from cities, let alone from another country and, and want right. to jump into this lifestyle. Andrew, I'll tell you, the, the reception was amazing. So hmm. I, I, did, I did three things on my first three days in Alberta. So I didn't know a soul in the province. And in the first three days, I bought a pair of cowboy boots. Um, I bought a set of power tools and I bought a pickup truck. And I thought, you know, I've got my Alberta starter pack ready here. But on, <laughs> and, but on, now you fast forward and the pickup trucks are like the things that are under attack now. No one's allowed exactly, to drive them, they say. Exactly, exactly. But then on the fourth day, I reached out to the local Ag Society in Airdrie here. And I said, hey, I want to get into the Western way of life. What do I do? And then instantly doors started opening where I had volunteer opportunities to be at the back end of a rodeo, learned how to ride, learned how to drive tractor, how to drive combine, etc. So an incredibly welcoming community. I can tell you after eight or nine years of being here, there isn't a rodeo I could go in a 500 kilometer radius where I don't know at least 200 people there and I feel 100% at home. Like I feel so unbelievably accepted. Um, just recently, the Western Horse Review, which is the biggest equestrian magazine in, in, in Canada, um, reached out and, and did an interview and featured me on, on the cover. Uh, you know, it, it's just exceptional, the level of doors that are open here. And I will say this, as long as you come with a level of authenticity and respect around Western culture, the West welcomes all. Like, it's a very inclusive, very welcoming community. They don't care what, what your background is. Um, what it is, is are you willing to put in the hard work and live the way of life? So um, it's been an amazing trip. Like, I've never once, never once in nine years of being here ever felt on the outside. I know that you became, as we mentioned, a, a citizen in 2016, but you're also Correct. identifying with a party that is very much Albertan over Canadian, a lot of people would argue. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm wanting you to explain, if you can, about that dynamic, because you've talked about in, in other materials and, and online this thing that a lot of Canadians who are from Ontario and Quebec and BC don't get, which is this Western alienation. But, but right. I'm curious how you first first off acknowledge this was a thing and why mm. you wanted to go where you are now which is actually running as a candidate for this party you bet so thanks for that question andrew and um 
when you know we're, we're a west focused party rather than just alberta so the four western provinces so i think manitoba alberta saskatchewan and bc but this comes from uh, my professional life where i'm in oil and gas and very quickly within the first 10 minutes and i grew up in the middle east so there's a perspective i lived through gulf war one and gulf war two and gulf war one was 100 percent a commodity war it was saddam invaded kuwait for their oil resources and i remember my parents taping down the window seams because they were worried about a biological attack the night before gulf one started and then so very quickly you learn that oil is a precious commodity and then i move here and we're given the gift of the third biggest largest third largest resource um or third largest oil resources rather in the world and we've decided as a country you know what keep it in the ground we don't want to use it. We'd rather buy the Saudis. We'd rather buy foreign oil. And that, that became apparent within 10 minutes. Yet that's the resource that provides wealth and prosperity to build all the social programs that we love as Canadians. So that's, you know, our, our healthcare systems, our education systems, our social support systems, et cetera. And I looked at that and I said, we, we are getting completely battered. We pay a gigantic amount of our wealth, 80% of Canada's wealth is generated in the West, 85% of it is spent in the East. Um, so we generate this wealth, the East continues to take from that wealth, but shuts down our industries. So one of the two things has to give. Either you, we have trade barriers within our own country. I mean, heck, you couldn't bring in a case of wine from BC into Alberta, that's illegal. Um, so we, we've got trade barriers within our own country. So the question becomes either those trade barriers open up and it's a fair trading system within Canada, or, um, we, we start to say, well, that wealth that you're bring you're taking, let's keep it here because as it is, our industry has been battered over the last eight or nine years that I've been here. So, I mean, a long answer, but, but, but the reason why I'm looking at a West only party is I've, I've always, and this is no secret, it's on the, on the internet and so on. I've always been, as soon as I was a Canadian citizen, a CPC supporter. Um, and, uh, the CPC, well, we've seen what the 2019 election looks like, but there's all these spending commitments that they continue to pander to Quebec for. And then the straw that broke the camel's back and really why the Maverick Party is the carbon tax. So Aaron O'Toole comes in with his own carbon levy. There's four major industries in my writing here. Um, oil and gas, agriculture, tourism, and aviation all massively impacted by a carbon tax. And, and I, I'm all for environmental responsibility, but Andrew, I think a carbon tax, it's naive to think that that's what's gonna save the planet. Uh, you know, so, um, and, and all it does is it punishes our industries and then continues to support foreign industries. Oil companies are mobile. If they're not gonna produce in Alberta, they're gonna move somewhere else. Or um, it shocks me that we still buy 60 to $65 million a day of foreign oil a day in Canada, uh, when we've got it right here. Let's talk about your riding for a moment, because mm. it, the Banff Airdrie is shaping up to be one of the more unique ones. You've got a conservative with a very strong margin of, in 2019 that's seeking re-election. You've got a PPC candidate going after right-of-center voters. You've got the Maverick yep. Party, which generally is going after right-of-center voters. You've got an independent in Derek Sloan, who's going after generally right-of-center voters. And, and even though that conservative support in 2019 for the CPC was very strong, is there a risk? that all of these people going forward saying that, you know what, we want to do things differently than the conservative incumbent wants to do things. Do mm -hmm. you think that actually risks uh, someone getting in that is very similar to the things that you oppose, pro-carbon tax, anti-oil, right. anti-Alberta? 
Right. So, Andrew, it's a great question. And I'll say one, let's celebrate that it's a democracy, because if you only had one choice, then it wouldn't be. Um, so, you know, this is still the free West and, and we celebrate that people have a choice. Now, in terms of where my, my where my opponents are and, and the fellow candidates, you're absolutely right. We have a long serving conservative candidate, 13 years in office, who also happens to be and I, I'm not one to do character attacks on any of my opponents. So I sp strictly speak on policy and platform. Um, so we've we've got he who happens to be the chief whip of Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole doesn't represent the conservative interests of the West anymore. And th this is the reason why you're starting to see more conservative options in that field is because, it, sadly, the conservative party, I think, is – Alberta and, and Saskatchewan could not get any more blue. Uh, every riding except one went blue uh, in the last election. But I look at it and I say, have they really taken our vote for granted? And then for our loyalty, they give us a carbon tax. Uh, Aaron O'Toole's first meeting with Premier Legault says – Energy East is off the table. This is a pipeline that's already 70% in the ground um, and will create jobs across Canada. So that Quebec pandering is what really turned me off from, from the CPC. And then I look at the other two parties. So, so one is still a federalist party that is run by a Quebecer. And for them to truly secure seats in Quebec, then they're still going to still have to need to rely on that Alberta wealth. Um, no more, right? There's no more pandering is, is where I'm saying. Now, uh, the independent candidate, and I'll talk about myself. So the independent candidate, uh, he's never lived a day in the West, never lived a day in this riding, um, never worked in a Western industry. And if I was one of his constituents on Ontario, um, and I'd say, I believe in your message and, and I'm voting for you, and suddenly you've abandoned me um, and moved halfway across the country um, in an area which you've never lived in, because you have a lot of your policies ready-made, like Alberta is more open than everyone else, et cetera, and say, well, here it is. I would feel, I would feel disappointed. I would feel betrayed by mo my own MP to say, hey, um, the, you're the person I voted for and you've just left and deserted me. Like, I would pretty sure if I ran in this riding, my constituents would say the exact same thing if I moved to Ontario, right? You've just deserted us. And then the difference between the Maverick Party, Andrew, and all the other three candidates is that we're the only party that speaks exclusively for the West. We have zero votes to lose in Ontario and in Quebec and in the Maritimes. Um, and the, the premise of the party is incredibly simple and, and beautiful. If it's good for the West, it's good for us. Um, and, and that's our job. My job is to speak only and exclusively for a Western constituent. One of the challenges we see in politics in Canada is that the only region that's really allowed to do that is Quebec. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, politicians encourage it when Quebec asserts its independence. But when the West does it, you get people saying, oh, yeah, they're just whining, they're just complaining and, and all of that. And, and I'm curious, though, when you see and hear the anger coming from a lot of people in the West and when I've been out there speaking, interviewing people, right. I hear it as well. Do you get a sense that people want to make things better or is it just we want out? We, we want to separate because I know even in the more independence minded uh, mm -hmm. community in Alberta, this is a, a big challenge. You get some people that are saying Canada's done, Confederation's yep. done. We want an independent Alberta and others that say, OK, let, let's try to fix it first. Let's try to tiptoe our way forward, start with equalization. Maybe mm -hmm. we do an Alberta police force and Alberta pension and, and so on. 
So the beauty of the Maverick Party is it, it's, it takes both folds in. So um, we have what we call our twin track approach, track A and track B. And and I'll, I'll tell you the, the politics behind it and also the general language that I use in my town halls with folks. So track A is to bring what you talked about is fairness and equity back to the West um, and say these are the things that we want um, to bring representation, equalization, uh, manage our own resources and have provincial autonomy on not just money, but things like law enforcement and and you touched upon that even things like firearms laws so you know i look at it and i say this is a very different approach than any of the other federal parties even the conservatives are saying well you're going after illegal gun owners i'm like you know what um toronto dictates a lot of that policy for the rest of the country um if toronto want to ban all their guns have at it it's none of my business um, but for the west we want our own regional chief firearms officer which right now sits in miramichi new brunswick um, and, and, you know, administers firearms laws for the entire country. No, we're looking at a regionalized approach for any of those things, including representation, fairness, and so on. That's track A. Now, if that is not enough, and we go out into our constituents and say, it's not what Tarek said, it's not what the Maverick Party says, but if our constituents say that is not enough, then track B is a push for independence. Um, and we have, yes, members that want independence right away. And we have members that are still very attached to the maple leaf, but not necessarily attached to Ottawa. So the way I say it and the way I kind of, um, you know, differentiate track A and track B is one is a divorce of Ottawa, which all of our members agree on. Um, so they, they're all very much in favor of. The second one, which is a divorce of Canada, some are there, some aren't there yet. And I think it will depend on, on what our constituents want once track A is done. Where are you, though? So I, I'm, I, I sit on both and I say, you know, I mean, I'm glad that you asked, but I sit on both. And I'm, I say that if track A is enough to make Western Canada an equal and well-represented partner in Canada great and 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 then i think we've accomplished a, a very solid part of what we want to do but if that's not enough then i am not afraid in any way shape or form to push for independence um it's it's the platform i'm running on it will be my job um and i am not afraid to do it so it really but you're saying on... you want to try to make it work first exactly so i mean and our and our and our track is very transparent is yes so rather than push for independence from the first five minutes even laying the foundations of independence, the right way to do it would be to do track A first, which is to get, you know, provincial autonomy back. Let us manage our own affairs, because then that makes the push for independence much easier. So it is the first logical step of it. Banff Airdrie in Alberta has a number of candidates. The Maverick Party candidate there is Tarek Elnega, who joins me now. Tarek, thanks very much for coming on and, and sharing a bit about your background and, and what you hope for the riding. Very much appreciated. My pleasure, Andrew. I've been following you for a long time. So you're an absolute rock star. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, that is very kind of you to say, Tarek. Thanks Excellent. very much. And that does it for us for today. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. As mentioned earlier, the coverage is going to look a bit different in the next couple of days as I am joining the Conservative Party of Canada tour to report on what's happening there. But we will be back with another show early next week. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.